you here this morning. May the Lord bless you and multiply his grace to you in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as you draw near and worship him. And if you are joining us for live stream, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, just one quick uh, reminder uh, to you, and that is that, uh, as I mentioned last week, that tomorrow uh, at our house at 6.30 to 7.30, we're having a time of prayer. Uh, so you are welcome to come to that. And uh, if you have a personal prayer request or two, feel free to share those as well. We'd love to pray with you. We're praying for, uh, for those things, for the saints and for things in the life of the church as well. Uh, try to make sure you get there at least a few minutes early because we'd uh, like to start at, right at 6.30 p.m., uh, and uh, if you uh, have children, feel free to bring them along as well. Hopefully the weather will be nice and they can go outside or we're happy to put, them, put something on for them as well. Or um, you're welcome to have them with you during that time as well. So uh, those are, uh, that's it. That's all the announcements I have. Let us go before the Lord and let us draw near his presence. The arms of the Lord Jesus Christ are open wide for all those who come to him in faith. And so, uh, whether you are uh, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, or if you have yet to believe in Christ Jesus as Savior, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Uh, if you are uh, an adult, if you are a child, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let us draw near before his presence. Let us worship him, give him our hearts, our minds, our lives, our voices to the worship of his glory. Amen. Amen, church. Let's, let's stand this morning. Um, let's worship the Lord. Let's, uh, let's sing unto his name. Amen. Uh, but before we do, uh, let me read a word um, from the Psalms. The word of God says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. Amen. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars, and he gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His, under, his understanding is beyond measure. Uh, and with that, let us sing on to the Lord. Amen.
the way my Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of His love.
worshiping, singing, speak, O oh Lord. Speak, O oh Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy words, Lord. And take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your gathered as a church, as a body, to come and worship you, Father, that, that you may speak, O oh Lord, Father, to our hearts. Give us understanding, Lord, of your word through scripture, through your spirit. Lead us, Father. Lead us this morning, Lord, and open our eyes and help us to focus them on you on the gospel. Wherever we stand, 
in life, Father, I pray that you may lead us to your feet. Humble our hearts, God, to receive your food today as we await your coming, Father, again. You're worthy of our praise this morning, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, uh, you may be seated. At this time, we'll be dismissing uh, our children to their classrooms as well. I'm going to do something a little different here than what we are accustomed to. We're actually going to go straight into the Word and the sermon, and then we will, that will be followed by communion, and then we will do our pastoral prayer and conclude with one last song. So if you would, uh, turn with me to Psalm 25. In Psalm 25, we're focusing on the entire psalm, but we will read from verses 1 through 7. I'm so thankful for, uh, for Aaron, for, for Daniel, and just their being able to step in uh, in Brother Edwin's absence. He's taking care of his family, and for Jeremy and Shira continue to serve us, all of them, and with their uh, their gifts, their talents, but most importantly, their willingness to serve us in the ways that the Lord has equipped them to. But it's, it's also a joy to, to welcome back our brother Edwan as he leads us in worship. So for there, Psalm 25, beginning in verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Let's read 8 to 10 as well. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you acknowledging that we, that we need you. We need your instruction. We need your teaching. Lord, and we need your, your strengthening hand over our lives, and we need your encouragement. Lord, would you speak to us this morning, and may your word have its effect upon each and every person here today, and may your word even affect those who have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, resulting in salvation. We pray that you would speak to us and build your church. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Waiting is like the stretching out of a rubber band. Like the more that you stretch it out, the longer the rubber band gets. So sometimes it's a stretching out of times. What it feels like that the more that time itself is stretched out like a rubber band, the longer it seems as, or the slower it seems that time progresses, where months can feel like years, weeks can feel like months, days can feel like weeks, hours can feel like days, minutes can feel like hours. And seconds can feel like minutes. And the longer the stretch of time, and the longer the period of our waiting, the greater the anxiety, the greater the stress, the greater the frustration. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Abraham, having received the the promise of a son, to have waited for years upon years upon years, to see, to feel as if his life is being stretched out, even as time feels like it's being stretched out. And then when you stretch out a rubber band, sometimes you'll find these small slits in the rubber band that, if not careful, can compromise the integrity of the rubber band, resulting in it snapping. So sometimes it feels like that's our lives, with the increased anxiety and the increased stress the season of waiting functions as these small slits in our lives and we don't know how much longer we can bear. That to us is not a question of whether, but when things will snap. So you work through Psalm 25 in its entirety, we see that the psalmist would appear to be in a season of waiting. The beginning of the psalm talks about waiting. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And then verse 21, the psalm ends with this waiting upon the Lord. So in between what might have this psalm to tell us or to teach us as we ourselves traverse through the wilderness of waiting. Indeed, it has several things for us to keep in mind and several things to teach us. First, consider the blessings, the paths of God. Verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. We see that in the waiting there is instruction, the Lord's instruction. Instruction in what? Verse 4, it's the ways of the Lord. Verse 8, it is instructing sinners in the way, in what is right, in the Lord's way. Verse 12, that the Lord will instruct him in the way that the Lord should choose. There's this connection between the teaching of the Lord and the way helping us along the way. Another way to sort of consider it is the straight and narrow is the path that the Lord teaches us on, teaches his people in. We all know what straight and narrow means when somebody who is trying to devise some mischief, trying to see who can he gather up in his plans of mischief, he immediately points out, well, we can't do this person, we can't include this person because that guy is straight and narrow. 
meaning he always does what is good. He always does what is right. He's not bendable. He's not going to swerve to the right or to the left. His way is straight. This is the path of the Lord, which is consistent with Matthew 7:13, where it tells us to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The way of the Lord, the path of the righteous, the way of faith is a narrow way. There is, aren't multiple ways, there's just one way. On the other hand, the broad way is the way of many paths, but ultimately leads to one destination, and that is destruction. So the Lord teaches people on this path of righteousness. And the psalm also tells us specifically who is the one who receives this instruction from the Lord. It tells us that it is sinners. It is those who are humble. It is for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Those are the ones whom the Lord teaches. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. The Lord seeks to teach those who acknowledge the lack of understanding. And I also also add verse 11, that the Lord teaches those who acknowledge their own sins, those who recognize that they are in need of forgiveness from the Lord. He teaches them. He teaches the humble. He teaches those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. The willingness to be taught begins, always begins with an acknowledgement of ignorance and inability. Right? If you cannot acknowledge your own ignorance, if you cannot acknowledge that you do not know all things, you are never teachable. So we go to school. Why? Because we lack knowledge. So we want to be educated. We go to those who know more than we do because we don't know as much as they do. We lack an inability. I do not know how to do this. Will you teach me how to do this? We seek a mentor. We seek someone to disciple us. We seek someone to train us because we don't have the knowledge that we know we need to have because we don't have the ability that we know we need to have. Those are the characteristics of the people who walk on the straight and narrow. Those are the ones that the Lord teaches. The ones who never cease to say, Lord, I don't know or understand everything. Lord, I desire to walk in your ways. I desire to walk in the way of righteousness. Will you teach me? Will you educate me? Will you instruct me? By your spirit, will you assist me? These are the ones who are set on the path of the Lord, and this particular path is the path that the Lord favors. This is the path of those who keep his word. And this path is a, has with it a particular design. 
So say, for instance, you had a room in your house dedicated to reading. You set it up, the walls are painted in a certain color, not too bright, not too dull either. The light is dimmed at a certain temperature. The room is at a certain temperature. You have your recliner. You have your glasses next to your recliner so it's easy to reach. Everything is there. It's designed to help you to focus, to keep your attention fixated on what you are reading. In the same way, the paths of the Lord come with a particular design. And they're designed to bestow particular blessings upon his people, upon those who walk the straight and narrow. The passage tells us what are some of the blessings that we can expect in this narrow path. First, there's the blessing of pardon. Which we get from verse 11. On this path, we have the pardon of our guilt. We have the forgiveness of our sins. And isn't this the great need of our lives? Isn't this the great need of mankind? Man needs a lot of things. Security, certainly. The measure of prosperity, absolutely. To provide for their own. To provide for those they care for. It's an epidemic of loneliness. Right, but people need friends, absolutely. People need friends, but more than their need for friends or security or wealth or even the need for family and stable relationships, the great need of mankind is the forgiveness of sins. There is nothing that exceeds that need. And praise be to God that we have it in Christ Jesus. And praise be to God that we have this in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I understand, should understand better than anyone that this is the great need of the day. And that we can go to someone and have a conversation with them and tell them that your great need is that you need salvation from your sins and here is the answer. Praise be to God for Romans 5.20 where it tells us there that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That grace always outpaces our sins. That grace always outruns our sins. Where sin increased, grace superabounded. To cover all our sins. In this path, there is the pardoning of sin. Another blessing that we see in the path of the straight and narrow is abiding in well-doing. Verse 13, his soul shall abide in well-being. The idea of well-being there is the idea of the good life. Those who walk in this path are walking in the good life. And the good life isn't defined by health, wealth, and prosperity. The good life isn't defined by having numerous, wonderful, meaningful relationships. It's not defined by longevity of life. It's not defined by a carefree and anxiety-free and a stress-free life. But the good life is the life that is lived in close communion with God through Jesus Christ. It is in that life that the person finds refuge, finds comfort, 
finds security, finds peace, finds the love of God in Jesus Christ. They shall abide in well-being. They shall remain there. The word abide there in the original Hebrew is the idea of staying the night. So imagine a weary traveler traversing through the wilderness, is tired, the sun has gone down, he needs a place to stay, and off in the distance he sees a home. So he goes there, hoping that the owner will let him in. He knocks on the door, he pleads, good sir, would you please let me in? I'm a weary traveler, I need a place to stay, and the host welcomes him in, feeds him a warm meal, allows him to wash his filth away, gives him a clean set of clothes and puts him in a comfortable bed where he can be rejuvenated and rested for the night. Those who are on the path of the Lord have in Christ Jesus this perpetual staying of the night where they will constantly have this refuge, this home to abide in. The blessings of the Lord also speak to one's posterity or to children. Now for the psalmists and for the Israelites, this was understood as the covenantal blessings, that the covenantal blessings that the father received, they would be also transferred to the children. Of course, there wasn't an expectation or rather an assumption that all of their children would be saved because it is only by faith that is one saved. But what might we draw from this idea? Which, by the way, I am, again, getting from verse 13. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The encouragement we might draw from this is that we put our children in the best position possible to receive salvation when we ourselves, as parents, are walking in the paths of the Lord. When we raise them in a community surrounded by others who are also walking in the paths of the Lord. Because the path of righteousness is not a solitary one. And that is why, that's why we encourage children to remain with us during time of worship through song so that they can hear the songs that we're singing, so that they can see and watch their own parents worshiping the Lord, so that they can see the parents of their friends and other adults in the congregation worshiping the Lord through song. And while I am certainly thankful that we have Sunday school and children's church and thankful for the many people who serve in these different ways in teaching our kids and instructing them in the paths of the Lord through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, pointing them to Jesus Christ. At the same time, we don't discourage children from being here for the entirety of the service as well. Even if they're rowdy, even if they're rambunctious, even if they're crying, that is okay. Because the entirety of the service, all that we do is not just for the adults, but it's also for our children as well because we want to put our children in the best position possible to receive salvation in Christ Jesus. And then another blessing designed 
on the path, the straight and narrow, it's God's friendship. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. He makes known to them. So think of friends who share their deepest secrets with one another. There's a closeness, there's an intimacy. There's things that you share that you don't just share with anyone, but only those with you, only with those that you trust, you confide in, those that you feel close to. So this is the idea communicated here that he makes known to us his covenant. It's a similar idea in Amos 3.7 that says there, which is actually by an interesting passage. It says there, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. It took an incredible amount of time to try to unpack that, that God does nothing without revealing his secrets to his prophets. That would take us beyond what this sermon is actually and its word is about. But the very idea here is that God does nothing. Even though he could, God does not need to tell his prophets what he's going to do before he does them, but he does it because it communicates an intimacy and a closeness of relationship. between himself and the prophets. And so it is this idea that we see that in the blessings that we have designed for us on the path of the righteous, that you are considered to be a friend of God. You are a friend of the Lord. Such is the path of those who wait upon the Lord. But as much as we might affirm these things and praise the Lord for these things, it doesn't always make waiting easier. It can make it more bearable. It's the bearing in waiting that takes us secondly to the thorn of waiting. Again, verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. I lift up my soul to you. He puts his trust in God. He's essentially saying the same thing in two different ways. I just think, my confidence is in the Lord. I lift up my soul to you. I mean, who would you commit your life to other than someone that you trust? You put your trust in that person because they have shown themselves to be trustworthy because you know when you trust them that you'll not be put to shame, that you're not going to regret it. The psalmist lifts up his soul, his very life to the Lord. I commit my soul to you. I trust in you. I know that I will not be put to shame. And then deepest encouragement that we have to do this ourselves in a season of waiting is Jesus himself. As he was crucified by sinners to the cross, what did he say there as he gazed upward towards the heaven? He said to God, into your hands I commit my spirit. There's a way of communicating his confidence and his trust in God that even as he does this, he knows, even though everything in his surrounding, everything that has happened to him is telling him otherwise, he knows that if he commits his soul unto God, 
that he will not be put to shame, but instead he will be vindicated. And indeed he was, for three days later, he was resurrected from the grave. And so because Jesus, in such a dark hour, committed his soul unto the Lord, unto his God for our sake, so from that we can draw the confidence we need that in our deepest and darkest hour of waiting, we can commit our very lives unto the Lord and have this confident assurance from Jesus that we will not regret doing so. In the New Testament, waiting oftentimes is defined by bearing under trial, as if carrying a load, a heavy load. And it's not that the load itself becomes heavier, but it's that as the waiting gets longer and longer, and now we ourselves get weaker and weaker, it seems as if the weight itself upon our shoulders is getting heavier and heavier. Waiting in the scriptures is never passive in the past of the righteous. But oftentimes it's like the servants in the parable that Jesus gives in the Gospels. The master of the house went away and his servants were about busy doing the work of the house knowing that the master will one day come. They just don't know when. So there is still a kind a busyness in waiting. But even the waiting itself is active because it is a kind of bearing. We're bearing something or bearing up during our waiting. We're bearing up under a season of stress at work or perhaps dealing with a difficult boss. Bearing up perhaps under sickness and illness. Bearing up under the hostility of people. Bearing up under seasons when children are not as obedient as they should be. Bearing up while we wait for the salvation of our loved ones. Bearing up while we continue to wait for the knock of our prayers to be answered. Bearing up while you struggle to accept God's will and plan for your life. All of these and more can be a kind of affliction. And the longer we wait, the harder it becomes. And the harder it becomes, it seems like there's more slits in the rubber band of our lives as it's being stretched out making the, cha- the waiting that much more challenging. And during the seasons of waiting, we ought to be aware of particular temptations that we might experience during the seasons of waiting. To name a few of those temptations, one temptation is to just simply for- to give up. To just had enough. Just like Saul King Saul with his soldiers about to fight the Philistines, waiting for Samuel to come. And Samuel is delayed. He hasn't shown up yet. Saul is wondering, where is Samuel? Until finally he gives up waiting, takes matters into his own hands, and he offers a sacrifice to the Lord, which he does not have the authority or the office to do so, transgressing the command of the Lord. When we are tempted to give up, we must be aware 
that to give up is to also forsake the paths of the Lord. It is to deviate from the, his chosen path for your life. Another temptation we might face during the season, the trials of waiting, similar to the last one, is to simply trust in our own hands, trust in our own devices, trust in our own counsel, like the Israelites in the conquest of Canaan, when God promised them that if you go, I'm going to go with you, and I will give you victory. And they were too afraid to do so. So what did they do? We're not going to go anywhere. We're going to stay put. And God becomes angry with them. And then they try to repent and say, God, we're sorry. No, we're going to go. We're going to go. And God says, no, it's too late. I'm not going with you. They go anyway. They take matters into their own hands. And they fail. When we are tempted to trust in our own hands, what we're doing is that we're forsaking the humility that is required in remaining on the path that the Lord has for us. Instead of submitting to his way, we are instead taking matters into our own hands. And what we are saying is, Lord, I know what's best. Another temptation we might experience is to turn to someone else. We look to the counsel of others or we turn to something else. And this was the error of Abraham and waiting and waiting and waiting for the promised son. He listens to the foolishness of his wife who gives to him his, her, her maid, her servant, to have the promised child through her. The danger is that we forsake then the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God designed for us in the path of the Lord. God has designed to show his goodness to you and his faithfulness and his mercy to you if you are just willing to continue to bear up and hold out and wait. But when we turn to something or someone else, we stop the Lord short of dispensing his grace and kindness to us on that path. In the passage, we see that there is an assurance that we have during the waiting, and that assurance is divine mercy. The psalmist continues to make an appeal. He says, as I wait, essentially, he, as I wait, remember your mercy. Verse 6, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And I think there's a contrast here. A contrast that has to do with remembering. He says first, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old, but remember not my sins of my youth. Your mercy, essentially, he says, is ancient. Your mercy and your steadfast love is as eternal as you are. Let your mercy and your goodness overshadow the short sins of my life. Short in the sense that our lives are short in comparison to the eternality of God. Praise be to the Lord that we are not eternal sinners. Our sins 
are not eternal. They have eternal repercussions, eternal consequences. There are eternal is eternal judgment for our sins. But we ourselves as human beings are not eternal. God, on the other hand, is eternal. And with his eternality is the goodness of his eternality. The appeal is, may your goodness overshadow my sins and cover all of my sins. And he makes this appeal to the Lord and he makes this appeal in the goodness of God. A couple of years ago, my family and I were, I think, running errands and my children asked for McDonald's. And so we'd sort of have fun and to help them work on their reasoning skills, I asked them, give me a good reason why I should take you to McDonald's. They started listing all these different reasons, or because you like it, because it's good, which I would argue it's not good, it's horrible, it's not really a burger. And then finally, they say, well, can you take us because you love us? It's like, well, how do you turn that down? <laughs> and, and so I rewarded them for their efforts. And so now, when I do it, oftentimes I'll go back to the same reason. Oh, do this because you love us. Can we get candy because you love us? Can we get a slushie because you love us? And I would say to them, it doesn't work all the time. But you see what they're getting at. In their minds, you love us, therefore, get us this. But they don't understand the alternative. They're not trying to say, well, if you don't get us this, it means that you don't love us. That's not what they're thinking of. That's not what they're understanding. When the psalmist makes his appeal to the Lord, he's pacing it on the goodness of God. Lord, you are good. Therefore, be good to me. In my season of waiting, let me experience your goodness. Let me see your goodness. Let me walk into your goodness. Because you are a good God and you are good to your children. There is nothing wrong with making such appeals to the Lord. We are authorized. We are given permission to make such appeals to the Lord. But there's something also we have to consider. If I may go back to that illustration with my children. Right, I don't... Because I don't always give them what they want does not make me a bad father. And if you've been a parent, then you know this as well. But sometimes your goodness is seen in your withholding. You desire this. You want this. But I know what's good for you. And I'm telling you that this is not good for you. Therefore, I am not going to give this to you. The goodness of God is not always determined by his giving, but sometimes the goodness of God is determined by his withholding. Even ourselves, we sometimes think we know what's best and we know what's good. God, I want this. I'm waiting for this. Would you give this to me? Would it be right now? And the Lord in his goodness says no. Because he ultimately knows what's good for you and what isn't. And so that if he has withheld something from you, you know that it is because he is good and he is trying to do good to you, just as a parent would to his own children. 
I mean, look to the gospel. Jesus, as he was crucified to the cross, in his dire hour, God withholds goodness from him. He could have rescued his son. He could have sent a legion of angels to save his son from the cross. But instead, he withheld all those good, those good things from his own son. And in so doing, God showed himself to be good because he knew what was better was for the son to be resurrected and receive the glory, the prestige, the status, the crown as Savior of man. And ultimately also for our own goodness through his salvation. Consider the words of James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits. Here's the example. Here's the illustration. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The tip of the thorn of waiting is dulled when we put our confidence in divine goodness. And there's something else the passage has to show us while we endure the affliction of waiting. Third and lastly, taught while waiting. Verse 15 it says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. The psalmist continues with his appeal. He's turning to the Lord. He says, I cast my eyes to the hills. I cast my eyes to the Lord, and he is pleading to the Lord, turn to me, make eye contact with me. Consider my affliction. Feel what I feel. Understand what I am going through. I turn to you, for you will pluck me out of the net. The idea here is like the drawing of a sword from a scabbard. I turn to you, O Lord, because I am confident that you also will draw me out of this net of despair in the season of waiting. Psalm 86, 4 makes this appeal, gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Then verse 21, the psalmist comes to a conclusion by making what seems like a, one other request. 
It says, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Uprightness, walking in righteousness, walking in the fear of the Lord, walking by faith, not by sight, doing the things that please the Lord is the path of uprightness and integrity. Integrity has this idea of completeness, of wholeness. A person who is a person of integrity is a person who does not speak from two sides of his mouth. A person who is consistent in all his ways. A person that is whole. There is no deviation when it comes to walking in the paths of the Lord. And the request is that integrity and uprightness may keep me, sort of like these, these walls along the path of the righteous. And we ought to consider, do our integrity, does my integrity and my uprightness need to be polished? Consider these things for yourself because these are the things that will keep you on the paths of the Lord, the straight and narrow. Here are some diagnostic questions to consider whether or not your integrity and uprightness needs some polishing, to consider whether or not there might be holes in the integrity and the uprightness of your life that need to be mended, repaired, patched up before they break down, tempting us to forsake the paths, the straight and narrow. Ask yourself, is there any two-facedness in my life? Are there any sins that I need to repent of? Do I mean what I say? and Do I say what I mean? Do the works of my right hand differ from the works of my left hand? Am I walking in a manner that is consistent with the Lord? And of course, because we have yet to be perfected, it is impossible for us to walk in the path of the Lord perfectly. But it's a question of, am I or am I not walking in this path of repentance? Am I continually turning to the Lord? Am I striving to live this life of wholeness, of completeness, of soundness in my life to where someone can look at my life and see that I am walking in the path of the Lord and not see two different lives lived out in one person. Now we return back to the beginning. In the blessings of the past of the righteous, we see there that God teaches his people on the past of the righteous. And this is a strong emphasis in Psalm 25. This is emphasis on teaching. This is the appeal of the psalmist. He says, teach me. In fact, I think that this is actually a stronger appeal than the appeal to rescue. Yes, that's there. Yes, we should go to the Lord. Rescue me. Help me. Strengthen me. Encourage me. Help me, Lord. Bring this season of waiting to its conclusion. But do we ever ask the Lord, God, would you teach us? Would you instruct us in the season of waiting? I get it. It's hard to focus on anything else when what we're waiting for seems so far out in the distance that the only thing that we can focus on, it's hard to think about anything else, but the psalmist draw us or our attention to something else. And that is that the Lord intends to teach you and I during our seasons of waiting. 
The question is, are we willing to be taught? The Lord does not want to distract us from the waiting, but instruct us through the waiting. What does he teach us? To know his ways, his paths, the way of instruction, the way that is right, the way that he would have us choose is what he teaches us on the way. Essentially, he teaches us how to remain on the path where we might be tempted to forsake the path. And we're not doing anything new here. Christ Jesus has already trailblazed the way for us. What we need help with is remaining on the path that he has already set out for us. Ephesians 2 speaks to this. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are good works designed for each one of us on the path of righteousness created in Christ Jesus. Or we have been created in Christ Jesus for these good works designed by God. What we need help with is remaining on the path and walking in those good works that the Lord has already laid out for us. These are the things that he tends to teach us, to teach us to wait, to teach us to be patient, to teach us more of himself, to teach us how to remain faithful when we might be tempted to be less than faithful. And how does the Lord teach us? Well, to broaden this out, to go outside of Psalm 25, 2 Timothy 3.16 answers the question for us. It says there that all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The sacred Scriptures it's God's primary mean of teaching his saints on the paths of the Lord and the seasons of waiting. We are to go to the scriptures. It is why we teach the scriptures. It is why we preach the scriptures. It is why the Lord, according to Ephesians, gives to the church shepherds, teachers, pastors to equip the saints for ministry, people, men who are gifted with teaching not their own opinions, not their own counsel, not their own advice, but to teach the sacred scriptures. Because only the sacred scriptures is profitable for teaching, for completing the man or woman of God that they might be trained in righteousness. The word of God, you might say, is our physical trainer for the sole purpose of making us fit and ready for the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in and ultimately making us fit and ready for heavenly dwelling. And as a trainer, through the help of the Holy Spirit, it knows when to lighten the load and when to increase it, when it is time to rest and when it is time to work. It gives us the water we need. It feeds us with the proper diet that we need so that we might be fit and ready. It knows when to ease back and when to push harder, when to apply pressure and when to relieve pressure. The scriptures is how the Lord teaches us 
through the seasons of waiting. Now, anchoring us back into the text, what might we see here in terms of how might the Lord teach us? And the Lord teaches us through the waiting. It's as if the waiting itself, it's God's curriculum. It's God's lesson plan. It's God's textbook for you during the season of waiting. The Lord does not want to distract us from the waiting, but instructs us using the lesson plan of waiting. And like a muscle that needs tension in order to go stronger and even bigger, the anxiety and the distress may be increased the longer that we are required to wait, but all in all it is intended to strengthen your faith. Even as that faith is stretched out, The word for instruct in verse 12, it's actually in the original, the pointing of the finger. So think of a teacher pointing the finger, the chalkboard, or think of the finger pointing to the answer in the textbook, or think of pointing of the finger to point you in the right direction. This is what the Lord intends during our seasons of waiting to teach us, to point us to the answer, to guide us in the right direction when we might be tempted to go in the opposite direction. Every day of waiting is another page in the textbooks of waiting that God means to use in order to instruct you. And so what do we do while we wait? We ask the Lord to teach us. We humble ourselves and we go before the Lord and telling him, Lord, I do not understand your plans. I do not understand your ways. I don't understand even why I'm called into the season of waiting. I don't even understand why I've been called to wait as long as I have been. God, I desire deliverance. I desire for the season of waiting to conclude. But as I wait for you, would you teach me? Would you instruct me? Would you lead me in the right path? Show me what you would have me to learn. So that I may grow in understanding so that I may understand better your ways. Traversing through the wilderness of waiting becomes more bearable when we fix our attention in the right place, namely the goodness of God and the blessings designed for us along the path and when we ask the Lord to instruct us in righteousness. It helps us to not just be fixated on the outcome that we're waiting for, but it helps us to endure the waiting if we just simply submit to the plan of the Lord and humbly ask God, teach us. If we give ourselves to these things, we remain on the straight and narrow path that leads to life. Now, by way of conclusion, we're going to take communion together in response to his word. 
So if you have yet to do so, there are these small cups in the back table. Feel free at this time to make your way back there and grab one of those. The Lord has given this ordinance to the church. Let's take this bread and the cup in remembrance of him. We don't believe that this actually becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, but these are representative elements pointing us to the reality that Christ Jesus died for sinners. We don't understand all the ways of the Lord, but the scriptures tell us that it was at the right time that Christ died for the ungodly. And praise God that he did. We are here today. We are saved because Jesus Christ died for us. So we take this meal remembering the sacrifice that Jesus paid on our behalf so that we can receive the forgiveness of our sins and receive eternal life in Christ Jesus. And and even as we take this, let this be a reminder to you that we are all in a season of waiting, waiting for the return of our King Jesus Christ. And he tells us to take this meal as often as you meet until the day that Jesus comes. So let this be an encouragement to you that even as you take this, that this is your assurance that Christ Jesus is going to come back. And we look forward to the day. So regardless if you are a member here or not, if you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you can genuinely and confidently say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if your life is characterized by the repentance that his path requires, not perfect sinlessness, but repentance, and you have received baptism, then you are welcome to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ. But if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have yet to call Jesus your Lord and Savior, let me ask that you not take this meal with us, for the scriptures warn that anyone who takes this meal in an unworthy manner drinks a particular judgment upon themselves. But as we take this meal, consider what you have heard this morning. Consider the straight and narrow path. Yes, the world might think that this is the boring path, but this is the only path that leads to eternal life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. No matter how good you think you are in your good works, apart from Jesus Christ, you are on the broad path that ultimately leads to destruction. Save yourself from such a perilous destination by believing and trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us take a moment to pause and silently reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ, confess your sins to the Lord, and trust in the forgiveness of your sins, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So let us consider these things by taking a moment a silent reflection.
And we're going to take, as we normally do, as is our custom, we're going to take bread in the cup. And as we take each one, and as I say to you that this is, that this actually is, that this represents the body and the blood of the body of Christ bruised for you and the blood of Jesus shed for you, I want you to confidently believe it. And as you declare it back that this is the body of Christ bruised for you, and as you declare back that this is the blood of Jesus shed for you, believe it as you say it. Christ Jesus died for your sins. Be encouraged and be blessed by that reality. Let's take the bread together. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ bruised for you. The body of Christ bruised for me. Now the cup. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Jesus shed for you. The blood of Jesus shed for me. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, your word tells us in Isaiah that those who wait for the Lord shall mount up on wings like eagles, that they shall walk and not go weary. Lord, we wait for you. In our seasons of waiting, we wait for you. In seasons of stress, we wait for you. In seasons of illness, we wait for you. In seasons of affliction and suffering, we wait for you. We wait for your comfort. We wait for your deliverance. We wait for the light of the end of the tunnel. We wait for the coming of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. We wait for you because you are good and you have designed for us your blessings on the path that you have called us to walk in. Lord, we are not always good at waiting. God, we get impatient, impatient with you, impatient with others. We get angry. We get upset. Sometimes we take matters into our own hands, and then we receive the painful consequences of such decisions. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for we do not always know how to pray or even to wait as we ought. We don't always conduct our lives in a manner that is right and in a manner that is of integrity in these seasons of waiting. Forgive us of our transgressions. Forgive us of our failures. Forgive us of our weaknesses. Lord, we're thankful that even in our sins, we do not have to wait for your forgiveness. We already have it in Christ Jesus. We do not wait for a Savior to die for us. Our Savior has already died for us so that we have forgiveness of sins today and have all of our sins paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to wait, to wait patiently, to wait with grace. And teach us, O Lord, Teach us to wait and to wait well. 
We pray, Lord, for those who are heavied right now in their seasons of waiting. Encourage your saints. Strengthen their knees so they may continue to bear up and walk. Remind them of your precious promises. May they make such appeals to you based on your great goodness and kindness. Father, we pray for the acres. Help them to be consistent in your word, that they may each day feast on your word, and and in doing so, increase their affections for Christ Jesus. Lord, they wait eagerly for their new baby. We pray for good health. We pray that you would sustain the mom and baby. Encourage them in the season of waiting. Lord, we pray for the Batistas. Help them, Lord, to adjust to new schedules with their little one. Help them to continue to be faithful in raising their children and the instruction and the fear of the Lord. We pray, God, for their children, for Annalise and Emma and Daniel and Camila. Lord, save them through Christ Jesus. We pray, God, for the Krugnalis, they return from their work for the next year to rest before you call them back to the mission field. Lord, give them great rest. Help them to continue to look to you. Help them to adjust. Continue to provide for them. Strengthen them. And if they might be waiting for anything, Lord, teach them through the season of waiting and encourage them and teach them to wait well. Father, we continue to wait for your glorious salvation. We pray, Father, that many hearts might be turned to Christ Jesus. We pray for a great salvation of the lost. And even as we wait, may we grow more and more fervent in prayer for the lost. Father, we pray for our country. We pray, God, against abortion. We pray, Father, for an end to the sacrificing of children, to the altars of education, of comfort, of ease, of selfishness. And even as we wait, help us to continue to pray. We pray, lastly, Lord, for those in our church who work in the areas of administration and customer service. Lord, give them wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Give them the integrity that comes from your scriptures, Lord, to be able to work well with others, to be able to deal with difficult clients and not dish it back when others are hostile towards them. And if they are in a season of stress and season of anxiety, Lord, we pray that you might help them to wait for your encouragement, for your comfort. And we pray, God, that you would bring swiftly to end their season of waiting under stress and anxiety. We're thankful, Lord, that you hear us. 
we lift up all of these things to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Church, uh, let's stand and uh, let's sing one more song. Um, it's called Blessed Assurance. Um, that we understand the words that we sing today. Um, please join us as we sing one more song. Amen. Together for and on to the Lord. Amen.
now for uh, a little addition to our morning uh, today. Let us please join me as we sing together the doxology uh, onto our Father. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son. of our praise. In you, O Lord, we trust. God, I pray that you may lead us in your truth and teach us your ways. God, we call upon your name, Father, as we walk along this straight and narrow path. God, help us to seek to walk in all humility and instruction in the midst of waiting for you, Father. Teach us, Lord, to remain faithful in our patience. Guard our souls, Father, of, of all unrighteousness. Instead, show us mercy and grace, Lord. May we find refuge in you, God. God, I pray you may strengthen your people. Strengthen your people, God, in, in the season of waiting. Fix our eyes, God, on you as we endure these trials for your glory. For it is in you, O oh Lord, that we trust. I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Word of God says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.